Hello, I'm Giles Brandreth. I was brought up in London in the 1950s, and one of my earliest memories is of going to the cinema, the classic in Baker Street, to see Orson Welles' famous film Citizen Kane. Still reckoned by many the finest movie ever made, it was my father's favourite. We went to see it every year, and had to sit on the left-hand side of the cinema, because that was the side where you were allowed to smoke, and my father was a keen smoker. As the years went by, I gradually began to understand what the film was all about. But even as a little boy, I sensed the importance of the sledge on which the little boy, Charles Foster Kane, was playing on the day he was taken away from his home and his mother. The make of the sledge was Rosebud. And that's why this podcast is called Rosebud. It's about early memories, first experiences, the moments and the people and the times that have made us who we are. Welcome to Rosebud. In this episode, I'm talking to a very special friend one of the most famous actresses in the world. She is Dame Judi Dench. And I've been very lucky to make friends with this distinguished actress, because if you love the theatre as I do, and you love the history of the theatre, this is like knowing somebody like Ellen Terry, who was the famous Victorian actress. I mean, this is the ultimate. You'll know her, of course, from TV series like A Fine Romance, As Time Goes By, as M in James Bond, Shakespeare in Love, Mrs Brown, more recently that brilliant film Belfast, directed by her friend Kenneth Branagh. I I think of her as a stage actress. I think of her as a friend. And I was really glad to have this opportunity to talk to her about her beginnings, about the first things in her life. And that's what, if you're new to Rosebud. That's the idea of Rosebud. So for this conversation, I met up with Judy in her beautiful house in Surrey. It's full of lovely old furniture, things that that remind her of her very happy childhood in York. We talked about that happy childhood, what it was like to grow up during the war. And Daddy suddenly said, now we've all got to go home. War, the war had broken out how she started as an actress. And he said, now I'm going to take the most enormous risk with you. He said, I'm going to cast you as Ophelia in Hamlet. And the early days of her relationship with her husband, Michael Williams, who, of course, she still misses hugely. He just used to make me laugh. And when he laughed, he used to cry. Um, they have a lovely daughter called Finty, who's also a friend of mine, and Judy now has a chap in her life called David, who has become a friend of mine and my wife's as well. She's a fascinating person, and for me, it was a privilege to take my rosebud microphone to her home and sit in a room that means a lot to her, a kind of snug. What I found, in fact, I was sitting, looking at a chair that didn't look at all comfortable, and then she told me it was her dad's chair, from his surgery in York. He was a GP. And suddenly we were sitting there with tears in our eyes. Enjoy this. I did. Judy, this is quite a challenge. I want you to cast your mind back and tell me what is your very, very first memory. First memory. 
Um, well, it's hard to remember what the very first, but lodged in my mind, and I know I was very little, was having my bath, being given my bath in the bathroom in York, and me being rather resentful, as all I could hear were the boys in the garden playing cricket. And now, if ever I go to bed and it's light, I always, always think, I'm going to bed and the boys are out there playing cricket. Mm. And that's, that is, that is, that's certainly one of my first memories. And the other is the fact that my pa used to come up every single morning to wake me up and um, recite Omar Khayyam. Awake for morning in the bowl of night hath flung the stone that sets the stars to flight. And lo, the hunter of the east hath caught the sultan's turret in a noose of light. Quite good to have that recited to you. So where is this happening? these first memories. Where are you? You're in York. Your yes, father York. is a doctor, GP, is he? My father's a GP in uh, York with a huge... In fact, my pa and Dr Atteridge and Dr Kelly, I think they were the largest practice in the north of England for a very long time. And the boys you mentioned who were playing cricket, my brothers, who were they? My two brothers and their friends, all of which I, were in, I was in love with. <laughs> and we had this long garden. That's another memory. At the end of the garden was an old barn. And Jeff, the younger of my two brothers, always... We had owls outside, because it used to be called the Forest of Galtus outside York. And we used to have a lot of owls, and the owls used to have th split up pellets in, in, in the barn, because they lived there. And my brother, Jeff, used to go and take the pellets and take them apart and on a piece of card stick all these tiny little skulls and bones and things that were found in the pellets. That was all very, very... It uh, was always around the house. And also, once... This is a terrible story. They found a dead rat in the barn. There was a lady called Miss Lazenby, who lived... Her her garden came backed on to ours. We had a long garden. She had a garden that backed on. And we always used to smack the cricket balls over into her garden. And we used to go around and say, Miss Lazenby, could we have the ball back? And she'd say, no, you can't. So they found this rat, and they wrapped it up, the boys, and they said to me, you've got to go around and put this parcel through Miss Lazenby's letterbox. And I did. But then we found out that Miss Lazenby was a patient of Daddy's. <laughs> Giles here. I'm with an actress who loves theatre, so an aside I think is allowed. If you're listening, you're feeling what I'm feeling, immediately we're getting a sense of the atmosphere of Judy's childhood. Summer days, playing cricket in the back garden, a lot of time spent out of doors, playing tricks on the next door neighbour. So evocative. So next, I wanted to know about the smells and tastes Judy remembered, because they have an incredible ability to take you straight back into the past. Tell me about your first recollections of smell and taste. Fish and chips was a huge treat because uh, it was a very good fish and chip shop. That was a huge treat, I remember. 
Did your mother cook? Was she a traditional housewife? Yes, Irish, yes, a lot of Irish stew and things. My ma used to make the... If there were any potatoes left over, mashed potatoes, she would make potato cakes, which were absolutely glorious. I thought about them recently, actually. Any mashed potato, and I think you add flour to it, I'm not sure, and you make it and you put it on a griddle, then you split them and put some butter inside. Heaven! Wonderful. And feelings. Do you remember the first time you felt sad? No. No. That's good. I remember once, this is not to do with feelings, I remember once having mumps and being put in a camp bed next to Mummy and Daddy's bed, walked down from my room at the top of the house <coughs> and being put there, and they put a potty under my bed and we had a dog called Jizzy. She was a cross between a collie and a spaniel, I think, black and white dog. I doted on her. And I weed in the potty and Jizzy weed after me in the potty. <laughs> and I remember telling my parents this, and they said, no, no, sorry, <laughs> no, no, sorry, Jizzy wouldn't... Uh, well, I, I think, I think she did. Maybe she didn't. I think she did. I think she did. So, if you can't remember when you were first sad, can you remember when you were first really happy? Can you remember a, a moment of wonderful happiness, the first time you were really happy? I feel, Giles, I had such a charmed childhood. Um, of course, there must have been times when I, I was sad, and I just can't... It's such a long time ago now, <laughs> can't remember. Um, but I just remember we laughed a lot in our family. We laughed and we sang. My mum used to play the piano, and they used to have parties when people used to come round. I would sit on the stairs get out of bed and sit on the stairs, and they'd all be singing downstairs. Everybody would be singing. And then we'd all have bikes, and we all used to get on the bikes and cycle out to Castle Howard, where I learnt to swim in the lake. Um, and we had an ottoman, which is upstairs in the spare room, the end of the bed, and it, it was full of dressing-up clothes, because my ma used to be able to make anything. It was full of dressing up clothes. And so we were always dressed up. Always, no television, of course. Uh, we were always dressed up. And there was somebody who lived next, the Bell Chambers used to live next to us. And I can remember coming out of our house and their wall was hit, went along. Our garden started and their wall was here. And one day, um, their son was called David Bellchamber. He was, I think, the same age or a bit older than me, and we were about six. I came out one day, and he was sitting up on the wall, and he said to me, I think we should call each other darling. <laughs> <laughs> How wonderful. Couldn't we describe him as your first love, in fact? Almost. Well, it was I just play-acting, really. Yes, of and course. Did, did you call each other, darling? No. No, I didn't agree. It's a lovely idea, it though. What a lovely thing to be told. I think we should call each other, darling, when you're six. I mean, that's pretty good. It's very really good going. I thought so. So you weren't ever lonely. Do you, I mean, do you remember the first time of feeling lonely? Did you ever feel lonely? No, because there was always... Well, it was also, uh, you know, the war broke out, too. 
Yes, I remember being sad once. We were on holiday in a caravan on the Y, and uh, it hadn't long started our holiday, and Daddy suddenly said, now we've all got to go home. War. The war had broken out. Is that the first time you became conscious of the world outside of the family and... Probably. So we had to, you know, no motorways, we had to drive a long way from the Wye Valley to York. And this happy childhood of yours, you've kept a lot of it around. You mentioned the Ottoman upstairs, but we're sitting in your den at home and you've just told me that there is your father's... Consulting room desk. desk and chair. The chair that he sat in. And that brass plaque up there that says Dr Dench, which was on the railings outside the house. How wonderful. And you sit at that desk still and use it to this day as your desk? Yes, I do. Lovely. I do. And that chair. Wonderful. And is it comfortable? Is it good? Yes, it's wonderful. And it tips backwards. You think you're going to go flying, but you don't. Me again, with another aside. Judy genuinely struggled to think of unhappy memories from her childhood. And that optimism and positivity is a huge part of her. It's an interesting question. Were there genuinely no sad days? Or is Judy the type of person who just doesn't dwell on sad days? Outside of your family, who was your first friend? Oh, Giles. I had a very nice friend called Anne Parsons, who I used to get round to dance a bit of Swan Lake because I was always in a ballet dress. That's what I wanted to be, dancer. Um, and um, poor old Anne Parsons, who didn't really, I don't think, like dancing. I used to get all the chairs arranged and get the family to come. And then we put on the... We had a gramophone, wind-up gramophone, and um, then we put that on, and then we would do the dance of the little signets. Family were good, weren't they? I don't think I got them to pay. Mistake there, really. <laughs> I should have, should have made tickets. You should. <clears throat> Sell them at the door. Can you remember, or have you been told, what the first words you spoke were, or the first word you spoke was? No. No. You know my favourite story about the about first words? No, say. This is... Um, and I've been told by the people who involved that it was... It is true. Um, Joan Plowright... Married to Laurence Olivier, uh, had a son, Richard Olivier, born the same year, about the same time, as a Princess Margaret and her husband, Lord Snowden's son. And uh, the Snowdens visited the Oliviers in Brighton. And uh, Lady Olivier, Joan Plowright, said to Princess Margaret, we're very excited because Richard has spoken his first word. And it's such a relief, really, because it was Dada. And Larry is so happy. And Princess Margaret said, Well, as it happens, David has just spoken his first word too. And so Joan said, Oh, what was David's first word? Oh, said Princess Margaret, David's first word was chandelier. <laughs> it's divine, isn't it? Chandelier. Uh, well, it's a very nice word to say. <laughs> it's a very nice word to Chandelier. say. Chandelier. And the explanation is that, of course, there were nannies and things, and she, the, the David was lying in a cot at Kensington Palace looking up, and probably the nanny was pointing at a thing as though it was a mobile in the ceiling, saying it's a chandelier. Yes. So that was his first word, chandelier. 
Hello, it's Giles here, and I'm excited to tell you that this series of Rosebud is sponsored by my favourite hotel in the world, the JW Marriott Grosvenor House Hotel on London's Park Lane. In fact, right now, I'm talking to you directly from the famous Great Room at the hotel. It's vast and very beautiful. And this room is full of history. Before the Great Room was a banqueting hall, it was an ice rink, home to the Park Lane Ice Club, where... As a girl in the 1930s, the future Queen Elizabeth II learnt to skate. But history is not the only thing the Grosvenor House Hotel has to offer. It's one of the finest hotels in London and one of my number one places to be. You might find me sipping a cup of Earl Grey or watching the world go by from one of the sumptuous sofas in the park room or hosting an awards ceremony in this very room. But the thing I love most about the hotel is the incredible, warm and genuine welcome they give to every single person who comes through the door. We're delighted that the JW Marriott Grosvenor House Hotel are supporting this series of Rosebud. Do make sure you book with them next time you want a five-star experience in London town. Can you remember the first lines you learnt by heart? Nursery oh, lines. yes. Yes, oh. Have you got half an hour? Yes. Um, Jeff, my the younger of my two brothers, only ever wanted to be an actor, only. And when anyone ever came to the house and they'd say, Jeff, oh, do, do, um, do recite something, he would say, for once upon a raw and gusty day, the troubled tide of chafing with the shores, Caesar said to me, dearest thou now, Cassius, leap in with me into this angry flood and swim to yonder point. Upon the word, accoutred as I was, I plunged it in and bade him follow. So indeed he did. The torrent roared and we did buffet it, with lusty sinews throwing it aside and stemming it with hearts of controversy. But ere we could arrive, the point proposed. Caesar cried, help me, Cassius, or I sink. And I, as Aeneas, our great ancestor, did with the flames of, soul, of Troy upon his shoulders, the old Ancai Sees bear, remember that. Um, so from the waves of Tiber did I, the tired Caesar, and this man is now become a god, and Cassius is a wretched creature that must bend his body if Caesar are carelessly but not on him. Now that's what Jeff used to recite. Oh, wow! And, and my parents said, don't ask, don't, don't, say, don't ask him to recite something. Don't you like old Anchises bear? I I've got one it. of those upstairs. Oh, the old Anchises bear. And it's a teddy bear called yes, old Anchises. Yes, Very yes. good. So that's <coughs> stuck. Finn's it's stuck one. in your head. <coughs> that is, oh, and I've never been in the play. Mm. I've never been in it, Caesar. Julius Caesar, yeah. But there we are. I could. So for you, Shakespeare was instead of nursery rhymes. I mean, did you do Shakespeare and Longfellow? Oh, because Daddy used to do the whole of the Mortgatha. Goodness. And also, we had at the door on summer evenings sat the little Hiawatha, heard oh. the whispering of the pine trees, heard the lapping of the water, and it was it was it wasn't a recitation, as it were. It was part of our lives. Mm. You know. But it's interesting, that stuff you learn first, it stays in there, doesn't it? What goes in first well, comes out last. Well, it's because it's Shakespeare, it's the rhythm of your heart. Yeah. Yes, they say that, don't they? The ambic pentameter. Oh, there's no question about is it. Is the rhythm of your heart. It is, da-da, 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 da-da. That's the rhythm of your heart. Perhaps that's why it's called learning by heart. Maybe it is. Hello. I hope you're enjoying this conversation between me and Dame Judy Dench. In fact, I hope you're thinking, why on earth is he interrupting it? She's so good. Judy's love of Shakespeare goes right back to her earliest childhood. And at the end of this podcast, there's a real treat for all of us as Dame Judy Dench 
recites a Shakespeare sonnet just for us. So make sure you listen right to the end. Do you remember the first poem you tried to learn, that you consciously... Yes. first poem I was made to learn was um, Day after day, night after night, we stuck nor breath nor motion, as silent as a painted ship upon a painted ocean. And I practised it before, uh, at home, before I had to go back to school. Day after day, night after night, we stuck nor breath nor motion, as silent as a painted ship upon a painted ocean. And I said, dude, what, what, you, what you have to do is to go upon a painted ocean. I said, no one's allowed to do that. I said, I've got to stop at the end of the line. Yes. Silent as a painted ship upon a painted ocean. <laughs> It's interesting, but um, the purists <coughs> say that, don't they? I mean, people like... Yes, but you don't go upon a painted... You know, you you might go as silent as a painted ship upon a painted ocean, you might go. Yes, so you, al you allow that moment of it. Just a little <laughs> breath. <laughs> what was the first school you went to? Miss Meebys Preparatory School in Clifton in York. I loved it. Was Miss Meeby there? Yes. And was she a Victorian character, as though she came from the pages of Dickens? What was she like? I don't suppose she was that old, but she had grey hair. She had a very, very kind face and a very musical voice. I remember you could go across the road and watch the boys playing rugby. My brothers were in St Peter's in York, where Guy Fawkes went. That's why they never, we never burnt him at home. <laughs> because he was an old boy of, of your brother's school. Of course. <laughs> Of course. Very good. And I can remember coming up one day and my ma coming to fetch me in the car and she said to me on the way down, it was called the Avenue where the school was, she said, the war's over. I said, oh, oh, look at that dog. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Did the war impinge on you in York, though? Were there, was there bombing up it, there? It, it, they bombed, um, they bombed... York once, and it was the night that my parents were at St Peter's School play with the boys in it. And I had a wonderful... She wasn't a nanny, she wasn't a... She was just this wonderful... She was quite young because I was a bridesmaid at her wedding. She seemed to me to be quite old. Uh, Sissy, she was called. And she, we used to always go down to the cellar during the Blitz, where we had a tiny little Trix twin railway which ran right round the walls. But she was too frightened to go down to the cellar, so we sat on the bottom of the stairs. And then my parents came in because they'd been at the play and they, uh, the bombing was between St Peter's and us. Wow. So I can remember that very well. You remember the... Yes. You can no, we had a... In the, we were sitting at the bottom of the stairs because she wouldn't go into the cellar, Sissy. And I can remember there was an, um, a, um, some shelves and an arch, you know, an archway and some things on plates and things in part of the hall. And I, I just remember them. We were sitting there in the dark and I can remember them the banging together, all these things banging together. I remember that very well indeed. And I also remember Jeff, my, my brother, who was an actor, who was the person who was at Stratford for the longest that an actor's ever been, I think. Uh, he was having piano lessons with somebody called Mabel Baird, and she was lovely, and she came to supper one evening, and Daddy said, Mabel, 
when you're ready to go, I'll drive you home. And he drove her home, and as they got near, they weren't allowed near, and the whole of the back of her house had been bombed. The front was standing, the back was not there. Can you remember the first time you went to the theatre? What was the first visit to the theatre like? I went to see Macbeth at St Peter's with Peter, my oldest brother, playing Duncan. And he walked in and he said, what bloody man is that? I thought, this is for me. <laughs> this is Shakespeare and swearing all in one word. <laughs> and the first time we went to the, the theatre, not to see <coughs> in family. New York. Yes. Cuckoo in the Nest. Oh, is that a Ben Travers pass? Yes. yes. And somebody hides in a blanket box at the end of the bed. Two people are in the bed and then suddenly it opens and he jumps up and he's wearing... What we call comms was combinations, that combinations, yes. like uh, long underwear yes. for, for gentlemen. I laughed so much that I had to be taken home. I made myself ill laughing. I, I, it, I mean, you literally me. were taken out of the theatre. <clears throat> yes, and taken home. But I was taken. My ma said, "We'll go back and see what happens." Now you know that happens. She said, "We'll go back and see what happens." So two days later, we went and saw it again. Saw it again. How wonderful! And I don't remember what I, I never quite good over the moment of... <laughs> and did you go to pantomimes and things like that, Christmas shows? Yes. Yes, we did. Leeds, Peter Pan. Mm. Peter Pan at Leeds, heaven. And I can remember coming back and saying, because we had the waiting room and the consulting room on the ground floor at home, saying um, to my partner, I think we could, surely we could get a few wires in the waiting room and I could come fl flying in over the... <laughs> Patience. <clears throat> I'm surprised you never played Peter Pan. We've ever asked to be Peter Pan. I was asked once when I was at the Vic to do Peter Pan. My first season, I think. Johnny Neville said to me, "Don't accept it, Jude." He said, "You'll never make the mantelpiece." <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful! Do you know I've fallen over in nearly every play I've ever done. Gosh. Something to do with nerves, do you think? No, I don't. I remember in the middle of Little Night Music, Larry Guitard is singing, You Must Meet My Wife, and he was turned away and I fell over. He turned back, he said, I couldn't see you, he said. <laughs> I don't know why, I don't know. Maybe it's nerves. But are you a nervous person? Are you nervous it, in yes, the wings? But I, yes, but it's not my business to... That's not something you should pass on. So, you don't feel you should share it? So no, just I don't. You, I think you, you can turn it into something. Uh, it creates energy nerves. Use your you nerves. can turn it in, you know, it's petrol, isn't it? Can you remember your first disappointment? Oh, my goodness, Giles. Oh, you don't have I expect to. I will. But I think you're a little bit like, I remember years ago, I had a doctor and I had some surgery. And he said to me, um, well, after today, don't mention this to anyone. I said, well, my wife knows already. He said, well, don't tell anyone else in your family. Don't tell anyone. He said, otherwise you'll become a wounded person and you'll think about it yourself. Uh, we've done this now. That's the operation has been successful. <coughs> Never refer to it again. Isn't that interesting? Very. And what is interesting, I really forgot all about it. And then I, many years later, 20 years later, I had to see the doctor about something else, about another bit of surgery. And they said, have you ever had surgery before? Uh, and I said, no. And I really had forgotten it. And then after I had the operation, the surgeon, the second surgeon said, why didn't you tell us about that? 
made it much more difficult. I said, I, I really have forgotten all about it. So it's quite a good rule in a way. Isn't it? Yes. So you've forgotten your disappointments, <clears throat> if there were any. Oh, I'm sure there were. But you can't remember the first one, that stab of, oh, it didn't happen, or... No. Can you remember your first triumph? Maybe when I got into Central. Ah, this is the Central School of Speech and Drama. Yes. Because at school... And Jeff had been before me. When you were a girl, you did appear in amateur plays in York. You were in the mystery plays. Was, was that oh, amateur or was that a part amateur, part professional? That was all amateur and professional. Yeah. That was um, E. Martin Brown and it was in York, the Abbey, and they wanted angels... So they came to the mount. It was good, wasn't it? They came to the mount for the angels. That was the girls' um, school. That was your yes, second school. Yes, that was a Quaker boarding school. Mm -hmm. And they allowed... I can't remember how we were chosen, but we were chosen. Uh, and so we all went off and became became angels in the mystery plays. Oh, it was wonderful. Were you a named angel or you were just general no, angel? No, just an angel. Just an angel. Did you have wings? No, we had white, long white gowns and a gold collar like this. And I once remember um, we were all standing round God the Father. A Maybug flew up my sleeve. <laughs> I can remember that suddenly going, and they said, please don't do that. During, no. Flew right up my sleeve. <clears throat> the sleeve and, where all your bangles are. Yes, yes, sorry. No, no, I don't, that we know. I, by re yeah, by referencing the bangles, that makes yes, them acceptable. Yes, that's good. Yeah. I played an angel the first year, uh, and then three years later I was the angel sitting in white clothing at the door of the gate of the goon. Then the, the, the last time, which was just before I went to the Vic, was the Virgin Mary. And when we were the angel at the door of the tomb... Yes. That... I remember you because you told me this before, but I can't remember what. I happens. wasn't allowed anything. I wasn't allowed anything to sit on. And so you had I to... had to sit there for a very long time while the three Marys had a long scene, and I used to have a little stool. But a Hensy Rayburn, who was Martin Brown's wife, said it's ridiculous that the angel of the tomb gets up and underneath is a small stool that she's been sitting on. You can't have that. An angel sits on nothing. So I. <laughs> I had to go. You had to perch. Yes, I perched. Perched in midair. While there's yes, while that scene went on. Maybe that's why I fall over in every scene Could now. It's the thought of the stool. And how was playing the Virgin? The Virgin Mary. I went because Martin Brown thought he, the third year he would cast me as Eve, but then when I got there, he said, "No, I think you can be the Virgin Mary." <laughs> it's quite. Turnabout, isn't, isn't it? Thrilling, though, and that I played the Virgin Mary when I had just finished Central and just auditioned for the Vic and just been accepted at the Vic. This is... and I was not allowed to tell anybody. Oh, was that I told my parents, but I didn't tell anybody else. That was the first secret you kept. So you go to the Central School of Speech and Drama, yeah, and then the time comes when you're looking for your first job. And at the end of your time at Central, there is a kind of public audition. It's yes. not public. Yes. It's for people it in the business, for agents and directors to come and view. Yes. And you go on. You've just finished your... Is it three years you do at Central? Yes. And it was what, during the last year. And what do you do as your, your first audition piece professionally? What's that? I did... Um, I played uh, in The Tempest, Miranda. Alas, I pray you work not so hard. And who was sitting out front? Somebody from films, I think. Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether it was Julia Wooten from The Vic or somebody else, but there was somebody 
from the Vic there. We didn't know. I mean, it was at Wyndham's, and there they were in the middle of the stalls, kind of five or six people sitting there, that's all. So we didn't really know who they were. And this is the old Vic in the Waterloo Road. Which I used to go to all the time when I was at Central. For ninepence in the, in the gallery, in the gods, where I watched, you know, Richard Burton, John Neville, who kind of predated the Beatles because the the girls, you know, be absolutely mad about them. So you do this audition, and yeah. you, you don't know what's going to happen, but no. amazingly, as a consequence of it, you get offered your first job. I had to go to see Michael Bentall at the Vic. And he ran it. He was the director. He did. Michael. And I think I was told to learn uh, Oh, what a noble mind is here or thrown of Hamlet and Philia. So I learnt that and I went in and I did it. And he said, Is that your hair? And I had I had long hair which I twisted up with a with a with a false plait that I put round it. I said, It is. He said, Will you take your hair down for me? I said, yes, and so I went off into the wings and I took my hair down and put the plaque down and brought it down. Now, he said, supposing somebody's thrown you on the ground, say, will you do that that speech again? I said, yes, I, I'll try. So I did. And he said, now I'm going to take the most enormous risk with you. He said, I'm going to cast you as Ophelia in Hamlet. Will you come to the Vic? <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. And how was your first Ophelia? It was my only Ophelia, <laughs> probably to everybody's relief. Uh, how did it go, your first Ophelia? It didn't go well at all. I think I only got one good notice, but I'd, people were out, outraged that the Vic should choose somebody who was unknown, a new, total newcomer to play. And so after a year, Michael... And I played lots of other parts. I played the Mariah and Twelfth Night, walked on in the Henry Sixes and uh, was a Cade rebel and, you know, was everything, all those other things. Understudied Anne Bullen, Henry VIII. And um, and M Michael Bentall just said, I'm going to keep you on, he said. I'm going to keep you on because he said, I'm going to, you can just understudy and watch other people. And he said, learn that way. And so we all went to America for six months after that. Barbara Jefford played Ophelia. Uh, <clears throat> and I played Mariah in Twelfth Night. And I played the Princess of France in Henry V with Larry Harvey. Was it Larry Harvey who was taller than you? Larry Harvey never looked into my face. Larry Harvey looked about a foot and a bit above my head all the time. He would never look at me. <laughs> never. Did he, he why? thought Yes, he thought it should be played by a taller person. <laughs> your husband, Michael Williams, was your first meeting with him, Love at First Sight? When did you first meet? Oh, we met because he was in the other half of the company. Um, I can't remember when I first met Mikey. So I always knew him, really. I thought you say it was in a pub. Oh, no, that... That's oh, you're quite right. Yeah. Oh, my very first meeting. Yeah, this is what this oh, is about. Oh, absolutely. Very first. Very first meeting, yes. He was in celebration at the Duke of York's, and I was at the Vic. Amanda and Mitchinson, those dear theatrical <sighs> pair who had that wonderful museum, mm. kind of really looked after me, 
and would take me to things when I was at the Vic. They were so sweet. You know, they were really sweet. Joe, Joe, Joe Mitchison and, and Raymond Manda. They were an extraordinary double They had this incredible museum yeah. in Sydenham. Theatrical memorabilia. Yes, now part of Bristol University. Really, is it? Part, there's a theatre collection at Bristol University which contains all their material. Well, I'm really... It's because exciting. I once held in my hand the Order of the Elephant, which MacReady is wearing round his neck in that painting. You know, oh, oh they were lovely. So, Mandra Mitchison take you to this park. They used to take me to all sorts of plays. Oh. I was kind of really looked after on any nights that I had off, which were rare because I was always understudying. Or, but we went. We must have been going to something, or no, must have been after something in Sweet Nell of Old Drury. And there was Mike having a drink after celebration. That's the first time I met him. But it clearly wasn't love at first sight. You remember the first encounter? I, I do remember it. Yeah. And when did you? But it was oh, it was years after that. Oh, years that, after that. He was in the other half of the company. And this um, is at used Stratford, to come up to the Vic, yes, yeah. to, oh, no. the, to Stratford. Oh. And then when we were on tour, the company, Stratford, we were in Australia and one of our company took an overdose and died. And we were all in a very bad way. And Mikey met Trevor Nunn one day by accident and Trevor happened to say uh, they're, they're not too good. And Mikey got on a plane and came out. And, um, and everybody knew him. Everybody had known him because we were in the other half of the camp. It was just wonderful that he was there. And I remember we had tea before the show once in this hotel in Adelaide and Mike said to me do you want a boiled egg? Well I said boiled egg and toast oh my goodness how lovely that would be for tea and afterwards they bought an enormous bill and Mike paid it and he said and he said I just remember such a wonderful sense for me. He said, "Will you give that egg? Uh, will you give that chicken who's walking about the kitchen with a gold watch my thanks?" Because <laughs> <laughs> it was an enormous bill for oh, two eggs. And he had very. He, he just used to make me laugh, and when he laughed, he used to cry. And you got married in a register office or in a church? No. no. What happened? How well, did you get married? Michael was a Catholic, oh. and I'm a Quaker. Oh. So uh, we, but we got married in. The church, St Mary's in Hampstead, was just by where I had my house. Because I, when I was in Cabaret, I bought a little house. And then we went, went to Ireland. For your we honeymoon. had our honeymoon. We had our reception at London Zoo so that the children could all have a quick bite of cake and then go off and look at the animals. They don't want to hear a lot of speeches and things. And then we were driven to the airport and drove and drove to and flew to Dublin. Then we were driven in a car right across to the west of Ireland and this man had somehow we'd made the paper, a photograph of us, and he sang the whole way across the This is your lovely day. <laughs> it is the day we'll remember the day you're dying. <laughs> <laughs> Can you remember your first <clears throat> thoughts when you're 
firstborn, your daughter, Finty, was born. Oh. Yes, because I wanted. To, I thought this is the first of five. Very good. But it, it wasn't. It was no. one beautiful daughter. Well, if you get the right one, one is enough. It was simply wonderful. <clears throat> Let's pretend now we want your last words. You're going to be given the last word. What do you want to say? Your last word. You know, if it's Hamlet, the, the last words are, the rest is silence. The rest is silence, yes. It's a good last line, isn't it? Pretty good. Do you know why you are this optimistic person? Do you know why you have this positive view of well, the world? Well, I presume you you get it from your parents. You inherit what is in your family and your the attitude of your parents, I think. Mm. And I think you are the sum of the parts of what came first. I think your, your happy childhood has informed your whole life. You're still surrounded by it, by things from your childhood home in York even though you don't live in the North any longer. Well, I, no, I think perhaps I'm very frivolous about things, and I think that was very much being brought up during the war, and somehow people were so resilient. Can you remember the first big international star that you met? Oh, Giles. You don't have to. Oh, um, I'm sure... I'm sure. <laughs> <clears throat> They'll forgive this you. This is terrible, isn't it? They'll forgive you. You know, Fred Astaire will forgive you. <laughs> no, I haven't met Fred. Didn't meet Fred Astaire. No. Oh. oh! Who used to sing, Oh, When the Saints Come Marching In? Oh, When the Saints... Oh, who was that? Oh, When the Saints Come Marching In. Who was that? Louis Armstrong. No. <laughs> um... No, F a famous, famous person. Because I was called up... To join him. Oh. Uh, oh. Dorchester or somewhere that we went. Sammy Davis Jr. Sammy Davis Jr.? That's it. You and Sammy Davis Jr.? Yeah, I mean, more Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> than me, I'm here to tell you. How amazing. What happened? He was singing in um, a cabaret, I think. Yeah. And suddenly he... I mean, I was in—I'd been in cabaret, or it was a night off in cabaret, or I might have been in cabaret. Anyway, he suddenly called me to sing with him. <laughs> well, I think that'll do. You can't do much more than that. Is your 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 introduction to cabaret your first? I know that I'll think of. No, that'll do. I think Sammy Davis Jr. will do. My last question, then. I think we've had enough first. And I met Paul Newman. Oh, come on! Now we're talking. Because. I was doing Twelfth Night playing Viola. Oh, this is a long time ago, then. This is... Oh, yes, it's a long, long time ago. Early 1960s. Well, the other no. was before. Uh, Sammy Davis was before... No, no, Sammy after. Davis was in the 60s. But uh, I was playing Viola, and my ma was up in Stratford. I was meeting her at the Duck afterwards, and suddenly they said to me, Paul Newman would like to come round to see you. I thought... And I was wearing a very short wig. Well, not sure I like my hair now, more of it. And I thought, well, if he's coming round, I won't take that off because my hair will look so frightful under it. So I'll keep my wig on while he's in the room. I'll keep my wig on and I'll pretend I haven't got quite round to getting undressed yet, you know, ready. And so he came round. He was absolutely charming. 
and uh, and then he, he, oh, he was simply wonderful. Anyway, then he went, and I put it off, took all my makeup off, thought, I'm going to meet Mummy at the duck, put a scarf around, went down, went in, went into the duck, there was my ma, and I sat there, I said, darling, I'm so sorry I'm late, because you'll never guess who was here. And she went, Pointing. And there he was. Sitting there. Sitting there. <laughs> and he had tea with you. And I was looking like the back of a cab. We've come to the end of our conversation about firsts, Judy. And it's going to be a first for me now to ask you to do me a favour, and the listeners too, by reciting for me a sonnet by Shakespeare. Would you? Let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. Love is not love, which alters when it alteration finds, or bends with the remover to remove. Oh no, it is an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempests and is never shaken. It is the star to every wandering bark whose worth's unknown, although his height be taken. Love's not time's fool, though rosy lips and cheeks Within his bending sickle's compass come. Love alters not with his brief hours and weeks, but bears it out even to the edge of doom. If this be error and upon me proved, I never writ, nor no man ever loved. Do you suppose he stayed up all night when he'd written one of those? Did he get a glass of champagne? or even a little butt of mead to congratulate himself. It is extraordinary. He is extraordinary, isn't he? Hearing Judy Dench reading Shakespeare is my idea of heaven. I said to Dame Judy, oh, how I wish we could have done Romeo and Juliet together. She just fell about laughing. So um, I thought, well, if you think it's that funny, I'll give you my Romeo and Juliet poem. Doesn't quite beat a Shakespeare sonnet. It goes like this. "'Twas in a restaurant they met, Romeo and Juliet. He had no money to pay the debt, so Romeo'd what Juliet. Anyway, big thank you to Dame Judy for talking to me, and a very big thank you to you for listening. We've got more exciting episodes coming up with guests including the fabulous Miriam Margolis. <laughs> Guess what her first memory was. My friend Alison Hammond, Rory Stewart, Ken Bruce. So please like and subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, leave us a review and tell us about it. We'd love you to get involved. What's your very first memory? And are there any guests you'd especially like me to interview? Or perhaps you're just friendly and want to say hi. Well, if so, it's simply, well, all you have to do is email me. Hello at rosebudpodcast.com. Hello, H-E-L-L-O at rosebudpodcast.com. Oh, I knew Leslie Phillips. Oh, I wish I'd interviewed him for Rosebud, because then I could have got him saying, hello. Many thanks. Thanks for being part of Rosebud. Rosebud is produced by Harriet Jane, artwork by Freya Betts, and music by Phil Leppard.